This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. In this episode, Ian Baird sits down to explore the history of the Hmong in Thailand and the Communist Party of Thailand, presenting new research about its transnational, transcultural, and transformative effect on gender relations. Well, welcome to another episode of Southeast Asian Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones, and with us in studio is Ian Baird. Uh, thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. You're close by, a near neighbor in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Ian is uh, uh, in the Department of Geography at University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, an associate professor there, um, working on Southeast Asia, especially um, Laos, uh, Cambodia, Thailand, um, wide range of interests. And, and today you gave us a really kind of incredible um, glimpse into a subject that I think we know very little about, which is uh, the the some of the role and the, maybe the allure of the the Communist Party and the Communist Party in Thailand for, for, for Lao in general. Um, but maybe for our listeners, let's let's uh, let's back up a second and ask. Uh, so the 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 Hmong, who are they, and maybe a bit of recent historical context for them? Sure, yeah. So uh, the Hmong uh, are uh, a minority uh, upland minority group that uh, actually originated uh, in uh, southern China, and uh, uh, over a, a couple hundred years ago, uh, they began to uh, start moving south um, into uh, Vietnam and then into northern Laos, and then eventually uh, some of them came over the border into Thailand. And so uh, now you find Hmong people in Asia, in China, in uh, Laos, in Vietnam, um, and Thailand, and a small number in, in, in Myanmar as well. And uh, uh, so those are the Hmong in, 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 in Asia. Um, in the United States, there are also a large number of Hmong people, um, yeah. there, there are, you know, uh, almost a, a few hundred thousand, um, actually. And, uh, and those people are uh, people who were formerly uh, uh, refugees uh, or, the, or they're the children of, or grandchildren of, of refugees from Laos who were actually um, uh, pro, most of them were uh, aligned with uh, General Vang Pao, who was uh, uh, the uh, general in the Lao army, before 1975, uh, he was a, a, a royalist. Uh, he wasn't, uh, and then after uh, Laos became a communist country in 1975, a large number of Hmong people crossed the uh, Mekong River into Thailand. Uh, many of them spent a number of years in refugee camps in Thailand um, before eventually coming to the United States. Some also went to France and to Canada and, and some other countries as well. Okay, so there's and there's uh, um, in in uh, in here in the Midwest we have Hmong populations that are that are uh, uh, kind of surprisingly large given the uh, yeah. So in in uh, you could say that uh, there are a large number of Hmong in the Midwest, but uh, typically uh, the, the the two states that they're mainly in are Minnesota and Wisconsin. So there's about sixty thousand Hmong in Wisconsin and about seventy thousand in Minnesota. So uh, that. And, and, and in uh, Wisconsin, for example, there is no other um, uh, ethnic group of Asian origin that uh, has a higher population than Hmong. Wow. So there's 
less people from China, there's less people from India or of Indian heritage or Chinese heritage or Japanese heritage. I mean, the Hmong are by far the most populous uh, ethnic group of uh, Asian origin. Um, so uh, they're, the Hmong are very important to the Midwest of the United States. Um, so the so the the Hmong that that we might interact with here in the in the United States and in the Midwest, um, those uh, maybe those are a different subset of Hmong than uh, at least politically than than the ones uh, your your new research is 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 touching on. So uh, tell us about a bit about um, the the Hmong and and sort of how does the fighting begin in. Um, in, in northern Thailand. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, uh, most of the Hmong in the U.S. Uh, are uh, aligned to right-wing groups, uh, I mean, who, who were originally anti-communist. Um, the group the, that I've been studying more recently are Hmong people in Thailand who actually uh, joined and became involved with the Communist Party of Thailand. And um, the, the Hmong uh, from northern Thailand were... Uh, previously uh, treated quite poorly by uh, the Thai government back in the 1950s and 60s. Often they were not recognized as Thai citizens. Uh, sometimes they were, uh, they were, they were often, uh, people would go, policemen or, or military people would go to their villages and they would uh, sometimes kill their chickens and their oh. pigs for food and they wouldn't pay them. Right. Sometimes they would uh, um literally sexually abuse Hmong women. Um, and, and, you know, there was a lot of bad behavior going on at that time because most of the Hmong you know, at that time, they didn't speak any Thai and they didn't know about the law and they, they weren't able to um, ex- sort of ex- exert their rights. They didn't know what their rights were. I was going to ask, would it be fair to say that they identified uh, not as... Uh, Thai citizens, but as but as Hmong, or not yeah. maybe not even at all. Or what, was, I, I think initially uh, they would just be Hmong. You know, they yeah. they, they, they you know m- 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 some of them. Eventually, they started to realize. I think that they were in Thailand, but but you know early on they 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 they, they were not. And even when they started knowing they were in Thailand, they they didn't speak Thai. They didn't go to school in Thai. They had very little interaction yeah. with lowland Thais, and so they 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 didn't think much about uh, Thailand. They didn't really. Um, identify much with Thailand early on. You're a you're a geographer, so give us a give us a sense of the actual physical. Like, what are what are some of there's some real there's some real barriers and differences between yeah. um, uh, the geographies of Thailand that that maybe advantage the yeah. the, the 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 physical and social difference right. in there. So, what what does that look like? So, so the Hmong people uh, historically lived mainly in pretty high mountainous areas. So they were living, the, 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 the mountains sort of along the border between uh, Laos and Thailand um, are pretty high mountains. And so they were living up in those areas, uh, you know, uh, predominantly, uh, which was a, a very in a, inhospitable area for lowlanders. Lowlanders rarely went up there. And so they, they lived there, you know, basically somewhat auton- in a kind of an autonomous sort of situation, um, uh, you know, without having much impact. Later on, they started to pay taxes, and, and, and then they started to come in contact with government more. And that's when the grievances became more and more. And then at that mm-hmm. time, uh, what happened was is that uh, there were some operatives who were, uh, initially they were, some of them were ethnically Thai or Thai Chinese who um, had come into their areas 
Um, sometimes they had a Hmong person helping them and they would, you know, start to interact with the communities and bring up their grievances. And then when they realized that, you know, the, the people were unhappy with uh, their relationship with the Thai government, they would start to encourage them to, uh, you know, uh, get involved in a revolutionary movement to kind of uh, uh, become, uh, uh, so they wouldn't be oppressed anymore. And uh, they also... Uh, appealed to a lot of the younger people by giving them a chance, saying that they could go and study, that they could go and get an education. Because prior to that, there were no schools in, in, in most of the Hmong villages. And so kids didn't have a chance to study. And so when somebody showed up and said, hey, we'll take you away and you can study, that was very attractive to so many the, of So them. the Thai government, let alone like the good parts of infrastructure, weren't even, weren't no. even there at all. There yeah. were a few small villages, a few schools and a couple of villages, but... For the most part, uh, there were no 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 schools, and so this was an opportunity for uh, these Hmong people to study. Often, they went to study with the Communist Party of Thailand early on, without even really realizing what communism was. Um, they just were interested yeah. in the opportunity for education, and and then as they learned politics when they were studying, they went to study usually first in in Laos. They went to uh, Luanam Tha province in northern Laos, and they would uh, have training, basic training there. And, uh, you know, then they'd start to learn the politics and then they would start to realize, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the position that they were in and uh, how that related and uh, to the politics of the Communist Party of Thailand and that they were sort of an oppressed class that uh, and, and, that, and this, this. So they became politically aware more as training occurred. And then afterwards, they you know went back to Thailand. Some of them went on to study in China, the ones that were the brightest uh, and had the most potential, went to study uh, politics or medicine uh, or other skills in, in China, whereas, uh, you know, some of them who were uh, inclined towards uh, military went to study in Vietnam. Because at that time, China, Laos, and Vietnam uh, were all supporting the Communist Party of time. The, the, the rift between um, Soviet-aligned communists and um, Chinese-aligned communists had not mm. yet uh, occurred. Well, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to say, you know, for our thinking about our, some of our listeners, they might think I don't necessarily associate Thailand with, with communism, maybe maybe obviously Vietnam, uh, Mm. uh, uh, Cambodia. Um, so, um, what, what is the, what does the communist party of Thailand look like? Well, um, so the communist party of Thailand, uh, really, uh, existed from, you know, as early as the 1930s. Um, but, was initially mainly Chinese uh, ties who were uh, involved, and it was an okay. urban-based movement. Um, it wasn't until the 1960s that they started to uh, focus more on rural recruitment, um, and they were very much supported by by China. So they took most of their policies uh, from okay. from from the communists in China, and uh, they were, and so. Uh, they became more and more rural-based. And actually, the Communist Party of Thailand became one of the most important communist movements in Southeast Asia. At the time, at their height, you know, in the, in the, in the earlier, mid-1970s, uh, they were the second biggest communist movement in Southeast Asia, uh, up, up, up behind Vietnam. They were, they were it was, you yeah. know, they, they had over, uh, at their height, they had well over 10,000 soldiers in arms, and they had a few million uh, civilians uh, that were uh, supportive of them, so they were quite. But they were they were mainly um, they 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 their their main uh, base of support were in remote areas, 
in the northeast, in the north, in the south of Thailand, um, in, in, in rural areas. And uh, and you alluded to this, but but especially with events like the liquidation of the Communist Party in uh, in Indonesia, for example, I imagine that uh, they become an important uh, regional uh, home uh, pass through area with a lot of uh, these these folks coming from all um, parts of Southeast Asia to, to 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 think and train about communism. Well, the com- because the Communist Party of Thailand was uh, heavily supported by China. And many other communist movements in Southeast Asia were also supported by China. And because to get to China from other parts in Southeast Asia, it often was easiest to go overland through Thailand. Uh-huh. And often though that travel was facilitated by, uh, you know, members of the CPT who would help because a lot of the people that were traveling from Malaysia or from Indonesia or from East Timor, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, necessarily notice how to speak Thai. And so they needed people to help them to get to where they wanted to go. And so there was a lot of interaction between uh, the CPT and other communist movements, uh, such as the uh, Communist Party of Malaysia or the PKI in Indonesia. So the, the the military had not a not a great penetration. The, the Thai military in in these upland um, the the Hmong areas and uh, and it sounds like when they did, it wasn't exactly um, uh, a friendly uh, incursion. Um, maybe what were some what was some of that interaction like, and and was was that uh, with those behaviors uh, uh, push factors for. The, the, the Hmong to join the, the Communist Party in, in, in pushing back? Yeah. So the first Hmong from Thailand that went to study with the Communist Party of Thailand in Laos um, uh, were, uh, be, that, that, that just began around 1960. And by the early 1960s, some of those Hmong had returned to Thailand and they were, they initially didn't want to have an armed conflict with the Thai government. They weren't ready for that. So they were going to the villages, they were trying to recruit more people, and they were trying to provide political training to Hmong people to get them more involved in the politics of the of the movement. Um, and uh, then what happened was that uh, um, the Thai's military started to realize that the communists had infiltrated some of these areas, and they started to realize that this was happening. And there was... Uh, some fighting that occurred almost by accident, really, because there was one village where the CPT had sent people in and they were providing political training, but they had no plan to have any uh, fighting. And then there was uh, some lowland uh, members of the Border Patrol police um, and some local officials who came up and wanted to extract some taxes from them for uh, doing Sweden cultivation in uh, a certain forest area, that, uh, and they wanted to to, to find them for that. And so there was some conflict over that and resulted in some fighting. And one of the Border Patrol policemen was killed uh, by a Hmong uh, a flint gun and uh, another Hmong was injured. And then all those Hmong, you know, kind of fled into the forest and then the uh, Border Patrol police burnt down their village. 
And then at that point, it kind of uh, the, the, everyone started to realize that this there was yeah. some uh, communist involvement in 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 the Hmong villages. And then the military went up, and the border patrol police went up, and they kind of assumed that all the villages had been infiltrated. When in fact, it wasn't the case. Many of the Hmong had never even heard of communism before. But yeah. n- nevertheless, the military was showing up, and they were, you know, burning down their villages and you know kidnapping the village headman and. And to interrogate them, and 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 you know there was all this, and it caused almost all the villages up there to basically go into the forest as well, even though they had never thought that they would join the, a communist movement. But once they got into the the forest, and the only one there to they help them there. That was was the CPT, and so that and that's how they became involved in the CPT, uh, many of them, and and so that uh, very quickly, uh, and then the other problem was is that the, you know even in the villages that the military went up to or the border patrol went up to, often they would station those military or, or police in the villages and they would give them some rice, but they wouldn't give them anything to eat with the rice and they had no money. So then they'd yeah. start taking the chickens and the pigs of the mm-hmm. villagers. And so rather than they were supposed to be there to suppress future communist activities, but it actually went the opposite. Exacerbated the, yeah, it made yeah. it even worse because they were treating people poorly and that actually was the best recruiting tool for the CPT that that you know the, the CBD couldn't have done a better job themselves than uh, you know it, because it, it showed the people clearly that uh, you know that that the, the people in the lowlands were were not treating them fairly and so this 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 sense of injustice that the Hmong people had you know it wasn't so much a sense of wanting to become a communist it was a sense of wanting to stop the injustice and want some e- equality and what the Communist Party of Thailand offered them was a sense of equality. So how did how did uh, what were some of the ways and the the maybe the mistakes of the Thai military and the 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 strate- strategies of the uh, of the Hmong? How did so few Hmong hold off the Thai military? So so the, the one thing was that you know uh, politically or strategically they you know they, they 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 didn't plan very well for how to win over the hearts and minds of the people. Hmm. That was the first thing. The other thing was is that the Thai military was not used to sort of. Uh, Operating in mountainous, for heavily forested areas, um, they they had received mainly conventional military training. Um, they were they were lowlanders. They were not used to the forest. They were not used to the mountains. They didn't know the the the, the, the territory well. Many of the people that were in the military were draftees who were you know eighteen nine year old, nineteen year old kids who who didn't know much about uh, anything really except for where they came from. And so uh, when they went up into the forest, they would often, you know, go along the main roads or the main paths, and uh, they became very vulnerable to uh, attacks by the CPT because the CPT was uh, using entirely guerrilla tactics. They would never engage in conventional or large-scale battles. They would send small groups of people, three, four, five. If it was a big battle, might be 10 or 15 people uh, in to, 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 to do an attack, they would, you know, attack from, you know, from the forest, uh, from trees or, you know, behind bushes, and 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 often the Thai military wouldn't even know what what was where, what who was shooting at them, and uh, they didn't know who to shoot back at, and often they would panic and they would start, you know, shooting all over the place and sometimes even shooting their yes. own people accidentally, and so it was, they were able to. Uh, uh, you know, cause a lot of fear very quickly. And, and so the number of casualties of the Hmong in the forest were very few. 
largely because of the training. Now, over time, the Thai military, you know, started to get some, you know, guerrilla uh, training, and later on, uh, they 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 became a bit more effective. But in the early days, they they really were unable. They 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 experienced some very serious uh, military defeats uh, early on. In fact, there were, you know, hundreds or we don't even know how many Thai soldiers were killed, but but large large numbers were killed, and very very few CPT soldiers were killed. You you mentioned something that I thought was really enigmatic. You said that uh, that many Hmong had to actually leave Thailand uh, to learn and. To, to learn Thai and to meet a lot of Thai. So tell us about that right. that that journey and that kind of exchange but between right. between Laos and, and Thailand. So because the Hmong had previously been living in mountainous areas where there were no schools and they, they, they didn't speak Thai, they hadn't gone to school in Thai, but when they were sent away for political training with the Communist Party of Thailand, um, they were they, they learned uh, politics, obviously. They also received military training. But they also uh, was also seen as very important that they receive a, a general basic in, uh, education, and that included learning Thai language. So they would spend time learning how to read and write in Thai, how to speak Thai. They were actually, in, even though they were in Laos, they were all being uh, trained in Thai language, sometimes with translators early on when they didn't know how to speak Thai yet. But as they over time, they gradually learned Thai. And then the other students that were studying with them uh, were other Thais from other parts of Thailand. Some of them were from the northeast, some of them were from the north, some of them were from the south, some of them were from central Thailand. So they got to meet people from all different parts of the country who they'd never encountered before. And they were, uh, you know, living in dormitories, you know, know, in close quarters with all these different people from other parts of Thailand. And that was the first time in many cases that they'd ever spoken directly with a Thai and and then they gradually learned how to speak Thai themselves. And so not only were they studying in Thai, but they were speaking the you know the lingua franca of all the different dialects of 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 that people spoke in Thailand. They were all you know they would speak in Central Thai together at these at these trainings, and so they learned how to speak Thai. So oddly enough, uh, it wasn't until many Hmong went to Laos that they actually learned how to speak Thai. They didn't learn Thai in Thailand. They learned it in Laos because that was where the training was occurring. And and sometimes they also learned it in China or in Vietnam because everywhere they went, they would be uh, trained. Um, either so, in so Thai was a lingua franca in almost all those situations. Right, right. I mean, the trainers might have been Vietnamese or they might have been Chinese, but then that would all get translated into Thai. And so they, okay. would, they would have to, uh, for them. And I mean, early on, some of them would also get translated into Hmong, but but over time, uh, as they learned some Thai, then they'd stop, you know, translating to Hmong and they would just translate into Thai. And so, you know, uh, many of them became quite good Thai speakers as a result of this. I would say the key part of my talk here, which is really the, the gender relations and how those were transformed by this experience, okay? So basically... Um, what I found through my interviews, and I was a bit surprised by this, is that the people who really believed in the CPT more than anybody in some ways were the women, more so than the men. And the reason was is because the CPT provided an opportunity. They promised a kind of opportunity for women that uh, was even more so than men, in the sense that uh, women, what, they, what the CPT said was, women and men should have equal rights. 
Now, in a society like Hmong society, which is patriarchal, very male-dominated, this was a real opportunity for women. I mean, women said, wow, look at this. We can be equal to men if we get involved in the CPT. And this was a very important thing for them because previously they... Some of the some of the core of what you're working on is the is the idea that uh, the interactions with the Communist Party in Thailand uh, transformed gender relations there. So maybe tell us a bit about um, the the how that happened, or maybe or maybe what uh, what is what was the typical gender relationships yeah. uh, in for the for the Hmong that. Uh, that might have made this uh, this alternative attractive, right? So, whereas uh, you know, lowland ties or ties typically um, are uh, come from sort of matrilineal societies, which are you know, the inheritance goes down the women's line and things like that. But amongst the Hmong, it's a very uh, patriarchal society, very very male dominated uh, clan system, um, where there's you know, uh, eighteen clans or something like that, uh, uh, and and uh, so. What would typically happen, there were a few things that uh, really attracted women to join uh, the Communist Party of Thailand. The first was is that previously uh, there was very little opportunities for education for any Hmong, whether you were a man or a woman. But women in particular, if there was any opportunity for studying, it would only be the men that would be sent away. It would be the mm-hmm. boys that would go to school. It wouldn't be the girls. And the idea was is that the girls were intended, they should become wives, they shouldn't go too far from their villages, yeah. and they weren't really had any opportunity to have any real education. But the CPT had a policy that men and women should have equal opportunities. And that was really uh, important and transformative for Hmong people because for Hmong women in particular, when they were told, wow, if you join the CPT, you know, they believe in equal rights for men and women. And, and that, and, and also women would have a chance to study just like men. Were, the, were these, were these like family members or friends, like coming back, like, like yeah. same, the same gender or like the, of the opposite sex saying so, like, I found that interesting or, or what are they hearing? So usually it was men that went first, okay. uh, you know, who received training first and then they would, you know, get that political uh, ideology and then they would come back and then they would disseminate that in their communities and the women would, or the girls would hear how, oh, wow, you know, if you, if you, the CPT, you know, uh, believes in gender equality and that was, you know, really transformative. So many of the women want to join the CPT so they could get an education. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing that's very important is that historically uh, in Hmong culture, um, if, if a man wanted to marry a woman, you know, maybe the woman didn't want to marry him, then he would engage in, in what they call uh, 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 wife grabbing. Essentially, it would be sort of kidnapping a young woman, um, you know, sometimes himself, maybe with the assistance of a few friends, uh, male friends, and they would take, him, take her away. Sometimes she'd be, you know, kicking and biting and trying her best to escape because she didn't want to marry this man, but they would force her to, uh, to go into the house of the, of the man that wanted to marry her. And, and if they could sort of keep her under, you know, for a significant period of time for a few days, then, you know, she would be forced to become his wife. And then they would go talk to the, her family and tell her what happened. And they would, you know, usually agree uh, to allow her to, to, to be married because this was a kind of, a cultural practice. The problem was is it traumatized, you know, many women. Uh, if once a woman was, you know, 14, 15 years old, she had to fear 
every time she was out on her own, you never knew when you might be, uh, you know, attacked and and snatched away and forced to marry somebody who you didn't want to marry. And so this was a terrible thing for women. And so one of the things the CPT did was to ban this uh, wife grabbing. And so this made women feel a lot more secure. They could walk around in the village and not, you know, worry about being grabbed. And that may, you know, I mean, that's a pretty significant thing when your personal safety improves to that degree and you could choose your own husband and you could, you could get an education and you could, you know, you could do all the things that weren't possible before. And then the third part of it was, um, uh, there was uh, less emphasis on, um, uh, what they call bride prices. They reduced the cost of the bride prices that was historically paid in, uh, silver bars so it was like eight or nine silver bars that a, a wife, a husband's family would pay to the wife's family, and then the wife would leave her own family and join her husband's family, and also join her husband's clan. So then you know she becomes part of her husband's clan, um, and the, and her parents would get this bride price. But then sometimes the bride price would, uh, then sometimes the families of the of. Uh, uh, of the husbands would feel that they could work the women hard because they'd sort of paid money to get them to, or paid these uh, valuable silver bars to get these women to join their families. And therefore they had to hold that over them all the time. Yeah. And, 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 and use that, use that to sort of get them to work hard. And so that led to uh, more oppression and the CP tree tried to reduce the amount of, uh, that would be paid by bride prices and, and, and didn't allow to the same extent, um, men to sort of dominate women in that way. So, so, you know, women became nurses, they became doctors, they became soldiers, they became political leaders. I mean, they they bec- they got all kinds of education and training that they never would have imagined when they were younger. And so this was uh, really transformative for them in terms of uh, their own recognition of their own rights and who they were. And it was kind of like, you know, um, up to this day, Many of those, these were all young young people. I mean, the people that went for training were always always under about, they were let, men and the, women. Men and women, they were yeah. under twenty years old. I mean, m- many were fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. So very, you know, kind of uh, important parts of their life where they're easily informed and their ideas are easily uh, influenced. And so they 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 became um, strong believers of this, and they were really inspired by this and. Uh, up to now, they they believe that this was a very transformative period, uh, more generally for Hmong society in Thailand. Um, you know, during during this uh, period, and many of them see uh, that there was a lot of improvement to their lives at that time. You did some um, really interesting field work uh, and, and interviews uh, to some of these uh, some of these women who who had had, had gone through this uh, kind of transformative experience. Can do you want to share some of their stories or some of sure. their some of their experiences with yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, I, I I initially you know didn't plan to look at this in particular. I was doing more general interviews with Hmong people about their experiences, and I was mainly uh, initially talking with men. And then I saw. Uh, I, I remember the f- first woman I really started talking to. I went and uh, I was in uh, this village, and I was talking to this man about his experiences in the CPT. And I would ask a question in Thai. And then uh, rather than him answering, I was hearing somebody from behind me 
answering the questions. <laughs> and I looked around, and there was this older woman that was answering. You're asking about his training or his experience. Yeah, and, 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 he, and she was answering all these questions. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's very unusual in Hmong society for a woman to answer for a man. It's often the other way around. Okay, and so I yeah. thought, this is, a, this is an unusual situation. So then I, 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 I asked, oh, you know what, you know, uh, why are you answering these questions? And then she explained that she'd also been in the forest and she knew a lot. And so I said, hey, I'd, I'd like to interview you too. So after mm. I interviewed her husband, then I interviewed her. And, you know, she explained, um, you know, how, uh, you know, women had been traumatized uh, before the CPT, afraid of being snatched away to become the wife of somebody who they didn't want to marry. And uh, she explained that they couldn't study and that they had all these opportunities to, you know, uh, go to school and and learn how to read and write time. I mean, it was very basic uh, education that they received, but, and it was in the middle of the forest, you know, in a kind of bamboo uh, school or something like that. So it, it wasn't, you know, it wouldn't, the standard of uh, education wouldn't, you know, fit with today's standard, but... It was uh, something. But it was something more than what they had. I mean, before they had nothing, they were all illiterate. And then all of a sudden they were getting a chance to learn uh, the language and they were being told that they were uh, legitimate ties. Previously, many Hmong people had not uh, been allowed citizenship in Thailand. And so uh, this was also, they, they were told that, you know, under the CPT, they would get full rights like all other ties. So they started to feel like they were ties for the very first time. They started to uh, imagine that they were part of the nation and they uh, saw a future that, that included them, uh, which is something that they had not seen previously. important things about uh, joining the Communist Party of Thailand for many Hmong people is it actually did give them a connection to the country of Thailand in a way that even though they were living in Thailand, they weren't, you know, politically connected to Thailand and they weren't Thai citizens, mo- most of them. And and they, 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 they didn't, uh, nobody said that they were, you know, uh, proper citizens of Thailand yeah. or proper people of Thailand. So they so when when they joined the CPT, they were told, oh, you're Thais, you're you're a part of Thailand just like everyone else. And that gave them an identity. And and then it also even uh, you know, as they learned Thai language and they learned about Thai culture, you know, they 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 felt more a part of Thailand. And then even after they took advantage of the amnesty uh, in 1980 and 82 to sort of uh, leave the forest and leave the Communist Party of Thailand. The Thai government treated them a lot better once they left because they'd seen that they were a formidable uh, military threat previously, and so they didn't want to, you know, anger them after they left the forest. So they were quick to kind of try to give them yeah. uh, Thai citizenship. So they were able... Nowadays, uh, of the ethnic minorities in northern Thailand, uh, many of whom still don't have citizenship... The Hmong um, almost all have citizenship because 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 of uh, they they the they their time in the CPT allowed them to so uh, the be so the, well. the 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 Thai government was sort of doubly motivated to to um, to welcome them as as given maybe the, the the alternative might be to have them return to the forest and uh, I think they were scared into, of them a little bit yeah <laughs> uh, but more so than they had been b- right prior. 
to that, they treated them with contempt. But the Hmong are, you know, very adept in the forest. They're very good. Uh, 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 they can they can shoot guns pretty well, and they're 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 very skillful moving around the forest. So they were very formidable military opponents, and so they they didn't want them. Uh, to rise up against them again. Is, is that a phrase that they use too? And like in the forest, you, you, you yeah, have that yeah, a lot in your, right. so what, what are, what are kind of the various meanings of it? Well, obvious, I mean, what, like, what they, I mean, that's, I mean, literally that's a direct translation from Thai that they go into the forest. That, that's they often, they, they, when they say they were in the communist party of Thailand, they don't actually say I was in the communist party in Thailand. They say I was in the forest. Yeah. And that is, Okay. People understand that to mean <laughs> people understand that to mean that they were in the Communist Party of Thailand, but they were also literally in the forest too. So, okay. so in the forest meant they were with the CPT, but also meant that they were, you know, in the forest in in the sense that they weren't living in their regular villages. They were out in mountainous areas and strongholds, living in places that they hadn't lived before. You you mentioned one one woman who was uh, she was a. Was she the one who was training to be a surgeon, but also was a, was a guard and was was right. stu- practicing Swidden agriculture, like the in the mountains, right? right? Is that so? Some one woman, uh, she went and uh, she was originally uh, a porter. She would you know carry uh, arms from uh, uh, Laos into Thailand, and then later on she became uh, uh, joined, became a soldier, became a medic, got ten days of. Uh, medical training, and then she was a medic for her military unit. Ten, ten days? Ten days, initially. <laughs> initially. It was okay. a very basic training. Yeah. But later on, uh, as she proved she proved her worth and, 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 and was also involved in helping to recruit other Hmong people to join the CPT, then she was sent away to become a surgeon. Okay. So that she went to China for that. Promotion. And, uh, promotion, and she'd done well, and, and then she got you know, I think 16 months training uh, for okay. that. And, and that was, you know, more, uh, you know, medical theory and an actual practice. Uh, and, you know, they were working in hospitals with with Chinese doctors helping them out and with translators translating into Thai for them. And so, you know, uh, and then she came back and then she was literally doing, you know, battlefield, uh, you know, yeah. p- surgeries, people that were injured or people that stepped on mines and were had their feet blown off or something. She would, they would have to treat those people um so you know um she, and some of them became acupuncturists so even now in time yeah i was going to ask so did did did, yeah. there, did there was that training for these this 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 cohort uh, translate to better uh, career possibilities to well so for most of the medical people when they came back when after the end of the conflict uh and they returned to their villages um they couldn't you know, become doctors. They they didn't have the official training to do that, yeah. but but many of them were doing acupuncture, and they learned acupuncture in in China as well. And um, there weren't a lot of other acupuncturists around in Thailand, so they started to do really? a lot of acupuncture. And initially, the Thais didn't recognize them, and so they were doing it just in their villages. But then, after a time. They realized that they had this real important human resource, and niche, and, and so then the government decided to, you know, normally to become an acupuncture, you have to f- have your uh, your bachelor's degree, and then you have to you know get some right. medical training. None of them had even their high school degree, let alone their bachelor's degree. So so th- what they said is okay, well, but they all knew how to do acupuncture from practice and from study. So so they so they they gave them a three month uh, short course. And then officially recognize them as legally hmm. uh, as legal to practice acupuncture. So nowadays you can go to lots of places in northern Thailand, and the acupuncturists are people who 
studied with the Communist Party of Thailand. There, and I was with uh, just uh, uh, last year. I was with uh, a few different people who were have clinics in the towns. And they live up in the mountains and they come down to the town some huh. days of the week and they have patients, mainly lowlanders, and they're doing acupuncture right. and they're making their living from that. Wow. So the so the you kind of alluded to what um what led to the decline of the Communist Party in Thailand? How did it unravel? Yeah, so it it, it really didn't unravel due to sort of, you know, military defeats per se. It was really due to geopolitical factors mm. that were beyond uh, I mean, partially beyond their control. So uh, I think you have to start off by by uh, thinking about the uh, the split between the Soviet Union and China, uh, the, the big communist split between the two. And so when that happened, um, the uh, the Communist Party of Thailand was very closely aligned to China. So they fell on that side of things. And then Laos and Vietnam, they were went the Soviet route. Yeah. And so, so when that conflict began to happen, and especially in relation to Cambodia, because the Vietnamese Cambodian uh, 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 conflict was was really getting uh, worse, and the Vietnamese were on the Soviet side, the Khmer Rouge were on the Chinese side, and so when uh, Vietnam invaded uh, Cambodia in the at the end of 1978 and, and early 79, um, the uh, Chinese were enraged because. Uh, you know, the Khmer Rouge were a close allies of theirs. And so that led to uh, the Chinese invasion of Vietnam and the very short war that occurred in early 1979. They, was, they, they went there to uh, ostensibly uh, teach a lesson to the, to the Vietnamese. In fact, the Vietnamese so, were very good fighters, and I don't know who taught who a lesson. There were, there were, there were, big, <laughs> right. there were big casualties on both sides, and it was a devastating uh, uh, Month. So, but that has to drive a wedge what, between what those formerly maybe the Vietnamese right. who had been uh, working with the uh, Communist Party of Thailand right. and the people that you had to choose a side. Right. So, so the Communist Party chose the Chinese side and the Lao chose the Vietnamese side. And so then the Communist Party of Thailand lost their, their bases on the Lao side of the border. The Lao uh, told the people of the CPT to leave the country and go back to Thailand and not to use Thai uh, Lao territory anymore. That was a huge blow. So kicked them all out. Kicked them all out within a, a short period of time. Hmm. Within forty eight hours, you got to get wow. out of here. You know, it was a, it was a it was a big it was a big uh, move. And so then the sec and then the the the, the you know you think that you know they'd been loyal to China and you think that China would uh, have continued to help them, but. The other thing that happened was the Chinese wanted to uh, provide military support to the Khmer Rouge, who were their big, their their favorite in the, the region, client state. Yeah, the- yeah, and they were they had been you know displaced and they were on the Thai border with Cambodia, and the Thais were also worried about the Vietnamese in Cambodia, and so, but the Thais said to the Chinese, if you want to provide armed support to the Khmer Rouge, you have to you can only do it by passing through Thailand, and we're only going to allow that to happen. Uh, if you stop uh, providing military and political support to the to the CPT, and so basically, uh, they the Chinese decided strategically that it was more important for them to support the Khmer Rouge than to this fledgling uh, the, 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 the yeah. CPT. Yeah, and so because of that, they 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 shut down. They used to have um, uh, the uh, Communist Party of Thailand radio uh, uh, coming out of uh, Kunming in China, and uh, they shut that down in early 79. And so that was another big moral blow to the CPT. All of a sudden, their radio station was shut down. 
And then the Chinese stopped providing military and material support. Uh, the Lao weren't providing support. And then the Thais turned around and gave an amnesty, which also some of them took advantage. And there were also some internal strifes having to do with, you know, uh, who was siding more with the Chinese, who was siding more with uh, the Vietnamese or the Lao. And and so this, all these factors together, um, you know, led to a, the rapid decline of the CPT. And there were some small military defeats as well that occurred. And one, and one particularly big one, but uh, in the Khao Kha area, there was a big uh, defeat there. Um, but that was basically, by the early 1980s, the the Hmong had almost all left the forest and gone back to their villages, and uh, the uh, the CPT in the north was basically finished. And 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 across Thailand, also you have a obviously a, a country that's developing, and that the, the kind of uh, maybe stark uh, conditions of poverty, etc., are 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 not nearly as acute as they would have been uh, in decades before. So, is there general maybe that hasn't made it up to? Those regions yet? Well, it has. I mean, they're certainly uh, much better off than they were. There's still a lot of problems um, in terms of resource and, and land rights. They still don't have mm-hmm. land rights, and there are still, you know, uh, concerns. Um, some of the the amnesty agreement wasn't fully implemented, and so a lot of the land and uh, um, privileges that they were promised when they gave up um, had were not forthcoming until actually very recently. Very recently, they've just uh, the last few years they've given money to uh, former CPT uh, uh, soldiers who came out of the forest and never received that early on. 30 years later, they finally gave it to them, just the last couple of years. Wow. What is the status today of uh, how 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 do they remember their time, the Hmong and the CP, who were in the CPT? How does the Thai government, how, what's the, what's the kind of, uh, um, kind of, what kind of identity does that carry? Well, for the most part, uh, the people that I've spoken to, um, both men and women who were involved um, in leadership, but also rank and file people and villagers, for the most part, um, have a very uh, uh, positive impression of that period. They 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 felt that uh, things were disciplined. They felt that that things were there wasn't a lot of. Um, you know, uh, atrocities committed in the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, 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 they were, they were treated pretty well. They, they, and, 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 uh, it was pretty disciplined. Right. There was no, there was no genocide. No, not, that I mean, they had I mean, con- if, conducted, yeah. if they caught you spying on them and giving money, giving information to the Thai military, you, you would have been killed, right. you know? And so it wasn't that, but you, but they weren't, they weren't the kind of purges that were taking yeah. place in, in, in Cambodia or places like that. So that wasn't happening. So most of them feel that it was a really, great time of advancement and that what they were doing was right and just and they don't regret it and they think that they actually helped to bring greater rights to minorities within Thailand as a result of their struggle and that this has actually led to recognition. A more, more positive recognition and that they've you know created a future for their children and they've uh, you know, uh, are, are respected more, given the respect that they deserve that they didn't previously get. Did it change some of the Hmong um, uh, paternalistic, uh, the maybe misogynistic uh, practices? Well, I mean, to, to some degree, I don't want to overemphasize that because Hmong society is still a male-dominated society. But it's, but it's uh, a little bit, it's a little bit less. Uh, 
it's a, there, there are more opportunities for women now, and, and, mm. and it was the opening up for women. And so, but men, men, men also see this as an opening up for Hmong people more generally, not only for women, but even for men as well. So, so overall, uh, you know, Hmong people nowadays often they have you know celebrations to mark certain anniversaries, and they will you know dress in their old old CPT uh, uniforms. Mm. And you know, walk around, and they're very, and, and it's not illegal to do that because after the amnesty, uh, there's is, is no longer, you know, they're not doing any. It's it, there's no right. It doesn't mean the same thing exactly. Yeah. And so they, they they're doing nothing. They can they can say I was in the CPT, and there's they don't have to fear repression. And so they they're quite uh, happy to do that. And often there are events where they gather and they feel very nostalgic about their time there. And uh, these were informative years of their life. Yeah. Yeah, um, thanks, Ian, for uh, for stepping in the studio. Um, t- tell us a bit about some of the uh, uh, institutes you work at, some of the things you might want to want to plug. Well, yeah, so I'm 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 uh, one of the uh, coordinators for the Hmong Studies Consortium, which is uh, a group of universities, uh, mainly in the Midwest, especially uh, University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, and University of Wisconsin Madison, but also some other universities and. Also, Chiang Mai University in Thailand is involved in this consortium of universities uh, where th- where we're uh, you know promoting Hmong studies. Um, um, uh, you know, all, and so that's something that I'm very much involved in, and I think it's a, a, an important initiative. How can people find that online? If they yeah, there. <laughs> if you if you look under uh, Hmong Studies dot w i s c dot edu, okay, there that you'll find our website and and all. We've just updated our website, so it's all all uh, new information there, and we advertise all our talks. And um, we're, we're also organizing a study abroad this year. So Mina Lee, who is a colleague of mine, at, uh, who's Hmong herself at the University of Minnesota, and myself will be leading a study abroad to northern Thailand uh, this year um, uh, in, in the summertime for a month. And we'll be. Uh, this is mainly for Hmong heritage students, American, uh, to look at you know the history of Hmong in Thailand, but also to look at some uh, Hmong people that were originally from Laos that are now living in Thailand um, and did, never made it to the U.S. or another country, you know, it might have been similar to what they would have ended up doing if they hadn't come to the U.S. So it's a great opportunity, I think, for uh, Hmong American students to uh, study about their heritage and about Hmong people in a in a in a and and, and the part about the the Hmong in the Communist Party of Thailand is something that Hmong Americans know very little about. So it's also an opportunity to to, to learn some other things about Hmong people that they wouldn't have otherwise had a chance to learn. Do you envision that uh, going on in subsequent years? Yeah. The, well, yeah, we're going to do the the study abroad every year. It'll. Uh, it, we're gonna, I'm going to this year. Mina Lee and myself are doing it together, but. After that, we'll alternate uh, one year Wisconsin, one year Minnesota. But it, it's open for uh, students outside of those two institutions. So we're gonna we we intend to do this every year uh, in the future, uh, uh, and and uh, we think it's a it's a it's a great opportunity for uh, for Hmong American students and other other students to 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 learn about uh, uh, life uh, in of the Hmong. Uh, in, in Thailand, so that's so we'll be mainly spending our time in Hmong villages in Thailand, and uh, you know doing activities with Hmong people and learning about their life and their history and their present day challenges, their agriculture, their uh, engagements with government and uh, in environmental issues as well. 
So we'll put some links in there for our listeners that they can uh, have access to, to that information and some for the resources. Um, but again, thanks, Ian, for joining us. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, th- thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, uh, yeah, I hope we'll have a chance to talk again sometime. Yeah, okay, okay thanks. Bye. Crossroads would like to thank Tommy Brown for today's music and the team for production assistance. 谢谢您的收听，我们下次再见。